Friend, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show. On today's episode, we have a friend of mine, Alex McCurry, CEO, founder of Astra Media. My friend, how are you? What's up, man? Doing well. We're, we're both in Miami right now, but we're being very safe and responsible people by doing this uh, virtually. How, how do you like it down here? It's good. The weather's all right. It's hot. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. You though. What's happening? You are one busy man because since, you know, since we first, you know, met, um, we've both been in like six different states, but you have been in multiple countries as well. How's it been traveling overseas during the pandemic? It's been good. It's a little weird because people are very like the it's it's interesting to see how different countries and different like um authorities deal with like the coronavirus stuff there's certain places that are a lot more strict there's certain places that are a lot more relaxed there's certain like even like uh how the populations interact you know so like people in because i was in spain for a while people in spain for instance are really are really it's it's not only the the people in power that are making decisions that are that are like acting with caution like the people are very scared right whereas like in the u.s you see a lot of people who are like uh like this is you know whatever you know we're, we're tired of the lockdown but then the people in charge right the government is like okay like you need to practice like you know social distancing all these things and then it's over there it's like people are really like really scared they're really worried like, i would say 90% of the population, 90 to 95% of the population is like truly bothered by this, like truly like frightened. That's crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it makes sense why people don't care here and it's the worst here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about your, your beginnings. You know, we're both, we're both 20, right? Yeah. I'm asking you my own age. Um, yes. Uh, Buster claims he's twenty. I the beard. We were we were talking about this the other night. The uh, the beard gives me a few years. Um, and if you're ever trying to get a few years, that's all you got to do. I don't have those. You don't have the, the capability. Working on it. Huh, you'll you'll you'll. I believe in you. Um, one one of these days. I want to talk about you as a younger entrepreneur. How did you first get started in this space? You know, we all have our different stories. For a lot of people, it was social media. What what was it for you? How did you try to get your own foot in the door? Yeah, so I was doing, I was always doing lots of like small, like little things to try to make money. Um, like just make money online. Like I was, you know, 15, 16, like any kid who's like really motivated to, to, to make money I was just figuring stuff out so I, I would do all sorts of weird stuff I was like I remember for a while I was like installing in like 2015 when like Bitcoin was really hot 2016 I was installing like Bitcoin mining software on people's computers and like taking a royalty of like what they like of what the software mined and I was doing a lot of like different weird things but the way I started with what I do now was basically on social building pages and the reason I got into building pages was basically I learned about like, like e-commerce, right? And people were selling stuff online, but I didn't have any money. So I was like, okay, how am I going to sell products without, without having to rely on ads converting? Right. Because I don't have like capital to invest in the ads and I also don't know how to run ads. Right. I didn't have like that runway to figure out how to do it. So 
my solution was like build these organic followings on social and figure out how to build like organic traction essentially and then leverage that to to drive traffic to like a point of sale of some sort so i was building like niche specific pages right um in, in different spaces trying to drive traffic to like different products um it works okay um it's i i essentially like i i was i was young and didn't really have a ton of resources so i decided like i'm not going to build the next like big like product like consumer product brand so i turned that into like a digital agency where i was just trying to like essentially like internally manage pages for uh, companies and stuff and did okay like made a, a little bit of money but like not didn't do super well and then eventually like pivoted that into um essentially like closed that shop down um and it's kind of like there's a weird timing around it so basically i had that that company i ran into those issues i ran into some issues with scaling because managing company managing pages internally is something that you can't really scale past a certain point because then you have to like teach someone how to do it right right so what i was so what i I was running into these scalability issues. Then I also like co-founded this app at the same time in high school. And I really liked the tech scene and like startups and like that sort of world. So I basically decided to pivot and I was trying to build out resources that would make me like an asset to a tech startup without being a VC or an engineer. So I was like, okay, how do I do that? Well, it's growth, right? So I had like access to pages, but I was like, okay, I need more. So I started building relationships like PR and like different sorts of, you know, ways that I could like help with like user acquisition or like data or like, um, like lead generation, stuff like that, where I could try to be like sort of like a growth hacking type, like person that could help provide that, that value to, to a company like that. And then it turned into just me building a lot of, a lot of like useful, like resources and like a book of services that I could provide. And I found a lot of people that weren't tech oriented that, that wanted those services and then that turned into just getting more and more clients and growing and growing and growing and then it turned in, turned into a company. And now one of your interests is, you know, like, like you alluded to there is uh, actually helping companies in exchange for pieces of their company um, and providing that sort of marketing value uh, in exchange for that. Is that something that you think is, viable long-term or do you think a lot of companies are going to pick up on things like that or yeah other I, people don't do it yeah i think i think there's i think it's i think it's tough i think there's a couple of reasons so the sort of like for, for people that don't know i have like a vc essentially like investment platform and startup accelerator through my company which basically what i do is like invest in small companies and startups and then I use all of our media and marketing and advertising resources that we have in house to fast track growth for portfolio companies we invest in. So I think the reason it's really unique is there's not a lot of people. There's like, there's like, there's two different worlds here, right? Cause you're like mixing like media and marketing and like these, this sort of like one world with like finance and like venture and investing, which is another world. And right. I think those things don't organically mesh. You know what I mean? Like these, a lot of startups, like they raise capital and then they go and then they contract a marketing agency or they hire a CMO to help them like put strategy together, you know? And a lot of times people who are like media and marketing oriented don't have like that same background either. Cause it's a completely, it's a completely different world. So the reason I sort of got into it was actually because my CFO is like a, like an institutional, like investor guy, like manages like over $150 million in assets. I think I told you about him over Adam. Um, like really successful guy on the finance side and being sort of exposed to like him talking about real estate deals and finance and like these different types of like 
you know, investment structures and how funds work and like these different things sort of gave me the idea like, okay, I can provide, I can, I can build out maybe a model that leverages our resources to build more durability into our company by getting indexes on really cool, like high growth potential pro projects, right. That might not necessarily have the capital to invest into working with us on a client level anyway. So maybe we can still extract some value out of like a relationship like that. And do you now think this is different from angel investing? Because look at, look at people who angel invest and this is something that kind of blows my mind right now, but a lot of like big social media stars have become angel investors. Mm. It makes very little sense because you know, the probability of these companies succeeding is very, very slim. But do you think this kind of takes angel investing and puts it in a whole nother context because you're actually able to be hands-on with it as opposed to throwing money at it and hoping that it succeeds with no reference points? Yeah, I think like traditional angel investing by its very nature is like very passive, right? Because the idea with like venture specifically is like you invest in 10, 20 projects and then hopefully like one or two of those projects make up for the losses of the, of the remaining, of, of the rest, right? Especially if you're looking at like really high growth, like tech stuff. I think with us, we focus on companies that are more like profit oriented that also have like some sort of like vertical integrations is something we're already doing. So we feel really confident in our ability to like help with the growth. So we don't really like get into bed with something that we don't feel like we can bring a lot of value to because we're still, we're, we're a small shop. I'm not playing with other people's money, right? It's, it's all, it's all like internal. It's all, it's all my money that I'm investing to these projects that hedge against risk. I need to find stuff that I know that I can bring enough value to, to at least recoup what I'm the, like the risk capital that I'm outlaying, you know? Right. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Now, why do you, do you think the reason that, you know, nobody else is doing this is because they don't have the time for it and they don't have the media properties you know, to, to do it. Like why, why don't venture funds um, create their own individual outlets, like outlets like these? I think, I, I think, I think it's probably a little bit of a little bit of a mix. I think one, a lot of them wouldn't know how to do it. Right. Um, and then on top and of it, it's youth, that youthful energy. And then, and then another thing is it's a, it's a bandwidth thing, right? So it's like, you're, you're sacrificing, you're sacrificing, bandwidth in exchange for de-risking like the, the investment right a lot of venture funds are their their thing is like they're just trying to get into bed with as many projects as possible that they like you know they're investing in 100 companies plus sometimes the big funds right maybe more so they don't have like i don't think they have the bandwidth to be strategic or operational on all of those things you know yeah no it's 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 really interesting um, and it makes sense for these companies to give up, you know, equity or, or rev share or whatever it is, because, um, they need to be spending those same dollars, you know, that they would have got from an investment for the same amount into the marketing. Right. So like, that's, a, that's really how we structure. That's how we, we deal structure a lot of these things is a lot of these companies are, are going to be spending these dollars anyway on marketing and media and stuff. So we basically say, okay, well, we can come in, you know, we'll provide like maybe a cash contribution of X and then like a media capital contribution of Y, which is basically like a credit bank to draw upon services from our, from like our company, which has like a suite of services that it provides on the media and marketing side. And then on top of it, 
you know, you have access to our full book of services beyond like our initial contribution at cost, which a lot of times can reduce their, their, the, like what they're spending by a really dramatic amount, right? Maybe they're, maybe at that, maybe they're, they're getting their influencer marketing spend down by 30 or 50%, right? Or maybe they're getting their PR, their, their PR budget down by 60%, right? Or 80%. So it's, it's, it's got like, it's got layers to it. And obviously each deal is unique, but that's like the, the thesis, a lot of thesis is around, is around those are dollars they're already going to be spending. We're trying to give them more value than they would be getting if they would go with like a traditional sort of structure. But how do you now manage your bandwidth between all of them? Because these are forever, you, you have equity in them forever. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's a forever project that just compounds over itself. So you need to do you need to build a team to be able to sustain that, or how do you how do you look at that affecting your bandwidth? Yeah, so it depends because some stuff is some stuff requires less bandwidth, and it's also the nature of each deal. So it's some stuff maybe is more bandwidth, some is less, some is front loaded, some is ongoing but less in scope. So it really depends. But for me, you know, I'm 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 really busy. And I have a lot, I have a lot of balls in the air, but I have a lot of, I have a lot of good people also that I'm working with and stuff. And I have people I can rely on to help get things done. And we have a pretty good, a, a lot of the stuff is being able to plug in a lot of the resources we already have. And we have that infrastructure built out for the client facing part of our business. So integrating them in sometimes doesn't require that much, right? If they need a lot of bandwidth, maybe it's just in the form of like, uh, a lot of times is in the form of like strategy or like stuff that, you know, I think can help like take the next level or maybe some sort of interesting partnership that we can create with some other entity or some other person that can help, you know, move things along. A hundred percent. And, and to a point, you know, I think, um, I think people are actually like you and I are better off having more balls in the air than we can like, so we can barely juggle them as opposed to, not having enough. Yeah. I always hear people say that you're, you're, uh, you're, you're best off when you're focused on like 10 different projects, 10 different things, um, because it makes you the most creative possible because you're able to take things from one to another and one gives I think you something so. else. I think so too. And a lot of the, the nature of a lot of like the stuff that we work on is it already like it integrates into something we're already doing, which is what we try to go for a lot of times because then we know that it can, it can plug in, we can bring that value. And then, also to your point it's when you're working on one thing a lot of times you get to the point where like you can't do anything else for a little bit till you get some input back you know what i'm saying like you have to go and you you do your deliverables and you cross off your your checklist and then it's like you need to wait for x person to get back to you on this or like you you've done all your content right so then you, you know for that period of time you're you're good until the next thing so having multiple things, I feel like is, I feel like focusing on one thing, unless it's a really, really, really complex thing is almost, um, but then at that point, it's not even focusing on one thing, right? So it's like, I think, I think it limits your ability to, to, to get a lot of stuff done. Right. Well, I, I think by nature of focusing on a lot of things, it means you do a lot of things. And when you do a lot of things, you have a lot of things. And the best investors, the best people who have businesses that we know are the ones who can plug and plop into different things that they own, like, you know, Richard Branson or whomever. 
Right. I can think of a bit LeBron James, you know, he has 20 different businesses that he can take, you know, something. And essentially it's sort of like what you're doing. You know, he has, he has a lot of different properties. He has, you know, he has, you know, his alcohol, he has agency, he has his content studio, he has his basketball team, he has his social media platforms, he has his family social media platforms, he has a family page for the channel, he has, um, you know, he has all of his content deals with luggage companies and a billion different things, right? But he can plug and plop, you know, if somebody comes around, you know, with a, with a skincare product, he can plug and plop that into the right places and, you know, do, do the right things that because of his already existing projects and companies, it just expedites the process. So that, so there are a lot of similarities in my head, I think, even if it's not active and he's not getting anything for having them, it's just a benefit. Yeah. And I think too, if you're in a, if you're in a position where you're meeting tons of people and tons of different industries, then it's really great because you're always, you see the connections and you see the plug and plays. If you're really, really focused on one niche, then maybe it's not as good for you because you're really focused on that one thing. But if you're getting to bed with like a lot of different projects that are, that span across a lot of different industries, then when you meet people who have stuff going on and skincare, right, you can be like, oh, like I know this person has this thing going on and we can plug it into here. And because you're actively sort of, you have that, even if it's a passive interest, you have that sort of that, you have that first of mind, like I can still bring some value to this thing, even though it doesn't have anything to do with basketball or it doesn't have anything to do with sports management or, or, or pizza, right. Or, or alcohol or whatever. Bro, that's, that's the game right there. Being able to have something that is of value for everybody on the planet. Yeah. Cause then, cause then there's just endless opportunity, right. If you have, because that's the thing that I that that's actually the reason the reason that I pivoted into what I what I'm doing now is like I was seeing the stuff I was doing on the agency side and we were doing really well from like a cash flow perspective and it was good but I was like I was like okay well I'm I'm meeting so many people I can't bring value to because our our products are like pretty high ticket and a lot of people don't have like the you know if you don't have like a company that needs what we what we need right it's like we could have a relationship but i can't really bring a lot of value to them beyond like maybe just helping them with some like advice or something on something that i might know something about so i the idea behind what i was doing is like i wanted to be able to create more opportunity out of all the people i was meeting as well because i wanted to be able to plug into more more things and diversify 100 percent. that's one of the major reasons i started this podcast so that there's not a single archaeologist or marine biologist that I don't have some sort of value to provide just you know whoever it is in any any walk of life um that they're if they're interesting I got something for them yeah that's super cool um but I I think there are 25,000 different versions of that having you know uh, marketing company or if you do public speaking like you know there there are just a million different things um so where 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 do you see yourself long term um i know we, we've spoken about the uh your lock screen um <laughs> so we know we we know that you want uh you want a nice jet one day um but what 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 are your real long-term goals and, and visions to the point that you that you know now because obviously these things change every day yeah it's changing a lot but i would say like to build out um 
So just double down on what we're doing within the company, keep executing, keep growing those things, build out the, like the, the, the venture platform and build a really like good group of case studies. Cause it's still young been doing it like eight, nine months really. So, um, you know, build that out really like prove that that's something that, you know, I can do, um, and, and, and do well and build some additional durability for the company and grow the company and, I don't know. I'm just focused. I'm just focused on, uh, on, on executing right now, you know, it's good. One thing at a time. It's good. So now how, how do you, um, when you need to take breathers, how do you do it? Are you a meditator? Do you work out? Do you, what do you do to step away from the game? Because everybody has, it's necessary and everybody yeah. has their, their own ways. So I'm curious what yours are. Definitely, definitely like exercise or sports. Just because for me, like I grew up like playing sports. I, I played tennis at a pretty high level. Um, so I, I used to train like six, seven hours a day. And like, that's where I like get, I get a lot of clarity from like the, from exercise and from playing sports and stuff. So tennis is great, man. It's a fantastic cardio sport. <laughs> it's great. It's real. It's, it's great. You don't, you can't really make any money unless you're really, really, really good. But unless it's, you're Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, or Djokovic. And then you make a, hundreds of millions of dollars. It goes from like zero to like making $100 million. I think Federer is close to being a billionaire. Yeah, I think he's worth like $800 million, something like that. Not too shabby. <laughs> he's, doing all, he's doing all right. He's doing all he probably, right. He, he probably has a plane or two. um no he's he's a great guy though most of the most of the guys in tennis most of the top professional athletes when i feel like generally speaking you don't meet that many really 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 successful assholes like it's always the people that are like kind of successful and the people who aren't but like like have an ego that are because they haven't seen the full picture of you know and most most people in general aren't they're great amazing people and most people that i've come across you know like yourself are just good people regardless of what level you know of of success they've had or are going to have or think they have or whatever yeah i think yeah yeah, go ahead sorry go ahead (laughs) no i was gonna say i think at the highest levels like people who are really successful are usually like are usually really good people because they're just like, they don't have anything to prove it proves anyone. So they didn't, you know, they sort of lose the ego and then they're also just like, you know, they've, they've, they've done the thing, you know, so they're, they're, they're happy with where they're at and they're just trying to like bring more value into the world to the people that they care about and the projects they care about. So interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Not needing to prove anything to anybody. And that's sort of a point that, you know, anybody who has success, like they'll, like we'll all have that at different levels, but then the, the peak is having that across the board for everything. Although you'll always get into new ventures and want to like, you know, prove yourself by nature, but it's yeah very true. If Jeff Bezos gets into a new endeavor, he doesn't really need to prove himself. No, Jeff Bezos definitely has done enough proving. <laughs> can think but then again i would make an argument that like elon is still proving himself 
in the sense of like space, space transportation of humans. And I think yeah. he thinks that. Well, I think, I think it's like, they, they still have crazy ambition because that's the reason they are where they are. Right. But they don't have like the ego of like, I want people to think I'm better than them because yeah. people know what I've done. So I don't need to prove that to anyone. Exactly. I, I think, I think that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you've spent a lot of time with some, uh, with some, some billionaires and whatnot. What, what are the biggest things you pick up from those, those dudes? Um, they, uh, you know, they, they, they really value, like they, they really value freedom a lot. I've noticed like the thing that, that the thing I've seen across the board is like how much people like that really value freedom and like why they've like gone to the level they have is just because they're like very focused on building like a reality where they can do whatever they want, you know? What do you but, mean by freedom? Like, I think, I think, I mean, I think freedom is different for different people, but it's just fundamentally, it's being able to do what you want with your time, with your life, you know? I think that's one like major thing that I've seen across the board from those guys. I would say like from a personality perspective, everyone's really different, right? So it's, it's hard to like pin down, you know, how I, I think, I think there is like a lot of, there's definitely a lot of ego behind like behind a lot of the behind a lot of like frontward facing humility it's like you know people like that have done really well know that know that they're really good at what they do or know that they're you know know that know their shit you know so that's you know there's that like confidence for sure yeah. so, something super interesting though is you know you wonder and i, I i'm pretty sure i know the answer to this but you know, you want to be the most successful guy who doesn't have to do anything, right? Who doesn't have to lead a company, who doesn't have to, you know, be in charge of a thousand people and making sure that they're all good, who doesn't have to, you know, report to anybody, you know, and all those things, but, you know, is on the other side of it. Kind of sounds like somebody who just made a great exit and gets to start from the beginning. But what are what are your thoughts on that? Do you ever want to be in a position where you, you know, at 40, 50, 60 still have to like have a team of employees or people that you're responsible for? Or do, do you think that do you think that takes away from the freedom or no? I think there's I think as long as you have I, I think I, I think you can have freedom but also have accountability, you know? So I think it, there, there is a balance though, right? Because when you have investors or shareholders that own a meaningful piece of something, right? There are certain things you can't do, right? Um, but I think, I think there's, it, it's, definitely, it's definitely a balance. You know, some people really want to be a part of like building something regardless of what level they get to. You know, look, at, look at like Elon, like you said, or Jeff Bezos, right? Like those guys have enough money to buy multiple countries and, live for you know a thousand lifetimes so like the the question of like they have unlimited freedom in that sense they can do whatever they want within human limits you know but they're choosing to you know they're they're on a mission of some sort no 100 percent. would you ever want to own a publicly traded company or does that sound like a mess 
I think, I think IPOs provide a lot of liquidity. So if that was something I was, I cared a lot about maybe, but I would say from a, from an operational perspective, it would be less fun because you have to, you have all these like compliance things and things you have to file. And like, there's a lot, a lot more accountability, right. Which limits the freedom, you know? Yep. You got to have, you know, full on boards and, you know, your family starts investing in your stock, they lose money. And then you're like, ah, oh, damn, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just, I think about like all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be brutal, but Hey, if it does well, I mean, that's how the richest people in the world become the richest people in the world. It doesn't happen through an exit <clears throat> ever. Yeah. And people get pretty rich off exits, but they don't, but not yeah. hundred billion rich. Yeah. Well, the, and that's like the highest level of accountability, right? It's like the public market. You have like literally everyday people investing in your vision and your company and your thing. Like that's crazy. If people's pretty pension, fun, if their, their pension funds, their retirement accounts locked up in your company, right? Like that's like the level of accountability there is like the implications are insane, right? It's like one, one wrong move. And like you lose tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in value, right? And like, those are real dollars. If you're Apple or Amazon could be trillions. It's crazy. But yeah, so that's it's a different level. Scary though. But yeah, what, what's the biggest exit that's ever happened in the history of the world? Slack been, sold for 27. Yeah, it's huge. I don't, I don't know. Probably. I don't know. I'd be curious oh, yeah. to, to find that out. Well, there are a lot of big acquisitions that happen, right? It's like Berkshire Hathaway, like Warren Buffett acquires pieces of things, right? Public and private that are really big amounts. Like if it's not, if it's not worth in the tens of billions, it's almost not worth his time. You know? Is he buying that through stock though, or is he actually buying pieces of the company? Well, it's stock shares are pieces of the company. Right, right. So if he buys 10% of Coca-Cola, he owns 10% of Coca-Cola. Right. Yeah. He's just doing it in such large quantities that that is a thing as opposed right. to somebody else where it's not even relevant. Well, they have like 200 billion in cash. So if you think of that as like him trying to produce returns, right. As like a function of the size of the portfolio, 1% is $2 billion. So if he wants to have like solid return or, or more, sorry, it's $4 billion. Wait, no, sorry. $2 billion. Yeah. Why, um, why are Berkshire shares so, expensive it's like 220k a share just because they limited quantity and and a lot of success since the beginning or what, what's the i think they have two types of shares so they have one that's like more they have one that's cheaper that i don't i don't know exactly how their shares work you can google it it's like they they have two different shares they have one that's like for the public for like like cheap like it's like cheaper shares and then they have like this these like expensive shares or like you said they're like three hundred thousand dollars a share I think they just haven't done a stock split with that, right? Because like usually the reason that share prices go down is just because they stock, they just double it from 10 million shares to 20 million shares and the price goes from $10 to $5 a share. Right, like Tesla and Apple just did. Exactly. That was crazy. It went, it went, it went pretty wild. Um, now, how do you feel about all this Bitcoin madness? Um, it's... 
I don't know. It's would, like, you ever, would you ever take if somebody was like, I don't have any cash to pay you, but I can pay you in Bitcoin. Are you taking that? Yeah, I've taken, I've taken large amounts of Bitcoin stuff really? actually. Yeah. Cause it's liquid, right? So it's like, you get the Bitcoin, you sell it and it turns, it's cash. I actually like crazy. I actually had, I had $110,000 in Bitcoin literally like six weeks ago when Bitcoin was at $10,000 and I took it out. I took it out. I'm not kidding. Like a week or two before the spike. So I would have made like a hundred grand on that, on that Bitcoin. <laughs> Why'd you take it out? Why did you get out? Because someone, someone paid me for something and I was like, this isn't stable. This is, you know, this is fluff. It could go to, it could go the other way. Right. So I, so I just Christ, man. Yeah. I mean, it's so volatile. It's just, I have a tricky time putting, I have like a little bit just to like keep track of how it goes, but not nothing like that. Yeah. That's uh, I, I don't trust it. Like I'm, I'm mainly, I'm mainly like all in cash because for me, my thing is I feel like I can get a lot better returns like in, in private in private investments and in private companies through like the investment platform that I've built. So for me, it's like all my money in these bad boys. <laughs> for those that are listening to the audio, I just held up sports cards. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, those, those alternative investments, what are you, what are you looking at these days? Do you invest in any like collectibles or physical objects or art or anything like that? Or are you mostly on the, on the company side? Yeah, mostly like I, I might get a watch soon. Like for watch, watches retain a lot of value. Like if you buy the right watch, like you're not gonna lose money on it. You watch might it. make money. Um, I'm looking at this like I'm looking at this rose gold Daytona right now. That's like pretty cool. Like nice. I got this got rubber strap because I I got these dainty I got these dainty little wrists. So I need I can't I, I gotta find something that looks you at know. least decent. I'm, I've always been an Apple watch guy just because of how it tracks like your fitness and everything you're doing. You get points for just walking. It's such a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, a nice watch doesn't definitely doesn't has nowhere near the functionality. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's you, more just like it. You can't accept a call on your auto your Rolex. Forget. <laughs> <laughs> you can't this. accept a phone call on there. Hey, Patek Philippe. You already, you already know the vibes. Um, no, I, I like being able to text somebody on my watch. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm living a little bit too futuristic here. I'm, I'm too no, late it's, to pull out the phone out of my pocket and I'll just text on my watch. Yeah, for me, like the phone is easy. So I don't, I don't know like how much more utility I would get out of it, you know? Fair, fair. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear and, and respect that. Um, what you think watches hold up over time though? I thought watches certain, certain, like certain watches shoes, though. Certain watches. So there's certain watches that are like made in limited production that historically have gone up over time and that just continue to go up in value. So yeah. yeah, so there's there are certain watches. Most watches lose value, right? I got beef with a couple investments. I got beef with people who um, who invest in sneakers and, and, as, and cars. Because those two, the second you drive them off the lot, the second you wear them. Yeah, they, they, those aren't, probably aren't, aren't the move. There's certain ways that you can make money off of cars. Like I, I, I used to own part of an exotic car rental company in Miami. 
Um, and that's so risky if anybody's driving. So, well, yeah, that's the issue, right? It's like, that's why I'm like, I got out really is because the risk profile of that. Right. But this is my problem. I don't want to buy something that's meant to be used a certain way, but I can't use it that way. Yeah. Sports cards are the best because this is its final form. I can hold this up. This is why I bought it. So I can hold it up like this and nothing is going to change. It's in a case. It, this is the sneaker, but it was never meant to be worn. It was just meant to be looked at. And that's why it's visually appealing. And I get the best dopamine rush every time I hold it. I was watching this video of this guy, like literally yesterday, who is, who is making a joke about Kanye West was walking into a construction zone and he took his, his white Yeezys off because he didn't want to get them dirty. And he's like, we've, we've, we've fully evolved because these shoes are supposed to protect your feet from the rough terrain below. And he's walking into a construction zone. He's taking his shoes off so they don't get dirty. Right? Like, it's the reverse of the utility. God damn. God damn it, Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Ye, though. You know, he's, a, he's a genius in his own way. He's one of those people, like I said, like we were talking about earlier, that has all those different businesses, right? He's got, you know, his apparel. He's got his music. He's got, you know, um, his clothing. He's got, you know, all, all these different things, you know, the shoes that, and the relationships with the different companies, Gap, you know, Adidas, Nike. So it's so, uh, it's interesting, but he's a, he's a great pick and plopper. You know, minus he's, some of the extra terrestrial stuff. He's he's maximized the value of his brand for sure. Right? He's pivoted. He's pivoted in such an amazing way away from music and been able to get into so many great things outside of that. Pretty impressive. And he married into the first family of America, right? So like, and he's honestly going to become the president one day. I don't know if my it's friend, four years or eight years or twelve years, but I think he'll do it one day. My my buddy always says that uh, he has the he has the backing of the first family. Don't underestimate him. <laughs> Bro, it's true. Yeah, they have enough followers to move the needle. They the have question more is, followers combined than people in the United States. Yeah, and to mention like only you only need like 70, 80 million votes to win. You know, now eighty million, but it used to be like you need sixty five million votes to win, and then. A lot of extra votes this uh, selection, probably because of coronavirus and early voting and stuff. Yeah, you know it's going to be interesting. Maybe, yeah, really, really interesting how how things are going to shape out over the next ten, fifteen, twenty years. You see, Elon yesterday he said he was trying to put people on Mars by twenty twenty six. You told me that I didn't see it, but how insane would that be? Six years from now, pretty much five years from now, people being on Mars. He's pretty aggressive with his timelines with everything, though. You know, you, you yeah. see, he'll be like, he'll be like, yeah, we got this car coming out. Like, it's coming out soon, a couple months. And then it's like a year and a half later, he's like, guys, cars, <laughs> cars coming out, I swear. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that means 2036, not 2026. Who knows? Yeah, but he's very ambitious, which is what you need to get something like that done. He's a genius, the guy. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So, what what companies are you most interested in? Are you most focused on like product companies and 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 stuff like that, or 
are you more interested on like those um you know super shots of tech and stuff as far as like personally or just in, in general in in terms of astra in terms of you know where yeah. you're deploying your focus well i think there's like there's a lot more risk affiliated with the tech stuff that's like you know these companies that are like burning a lot of cash to try to like get to some you know hit some you know escape velocity growth where they can finally like make an exit or or go public and like get right. liquidity. it's very it's like super high risk because most of those companies don't get there so for me i like to get involved with stuff i know so like media to some extent technology like i have a certain i have a company i'm i'm, I'm working on right now it's like a it does like data scraping. So it scrapes data, can scrape a lot of data and also can do a lot of different forms of like targeted outreach and uh, lead generation and user acquisition through. Kind of uh, data. So like, for instance, we could scrape like uh, data from Instagram accounts. So you could go and say, oh, you know, um, maybe it's, maybe LeBron is is dropping a new, line of sneakers right and you know and and nike wants to get a bunch of people to to the site you know we have a tool where you could pull all of the emails phone numbers contact information information from all of lebron's followers or all the people who liked his last post right and then you use that for marketing to to that audience so building out a couple tools like that being able to pull people's emails yeah because their emails are are attached most of the time to their Instagram accounts. A lot of people don't, don't know this, but a lot of times you can just go in and find someone's email from their Instagram account. So that's public information. So you can, it's, you can legally extract the data. Where would you find it though on somebody's account? So like you, a lot of times there's like the contact bubble or something. You click that and it'll take you to an email. So like oh, that'll be there. Oh, oh. Yeah. That's a lot of times how it's linked. There's a couple, I think there's a couple other ways I, that you can, that it's accessible basically. Dope. That's crazy. Yeah. Super interesting. Email lists are underrated in my opinion because nobody, people aren't doing them as much anymore. Well, the open rates are so small. Text is great, but text is becoming oversaturated now. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I have, I have a good, I have a buddy who, who, who works at community. Yeah, They're doing some crazy stuff over there. Oh, they're awesome. I have, I've had my community number for like a year and a half now. I was one of the, how do you like it? I love it. I think it's amazing that the open rate is 99.9%. Uh, everybody opens all their texts as opposed to email, which is like 50% if you're lucky. It's not less. It's like 5%. 10% open rate. Right. Right. Um, so that's amazing, but people do get annoyed. Um, you know, if you send more than one text a week or whatever, so people, unless it's, you know, very specific. So there, there are a lot of ways that they're going to continue improving, but, um, I'm a big fan of the open rate. Yes. Mm. And I, I love community. They're awesome. How do you use it? Do you use it to like tell people about podcasts or to sell products or how do you like, how do you, how do you, how do you see it? What do, what do you think is like the most, best utility for it like what's the best example of someone you know using community and getting a lot of value out of it i can get a lot of people to something very quickly so hey guys i'm giving away a pair of sneakers all you got to do is go follow the podcast instagram page oh, Five thousand people in 30 seconds really 
Yeah. So like stuff like that, it's, it's great for, but oftentimes I'll just like send out positive messages, you know, and, and people say it, it, it helps them because there's nothing better than getting like a nice text from somebody. Um, even if it's, even if it's from my community, it's like, you know, here, let me, let me see if I can find, um, a good one, a good example to give here. Um, let's go to scent. Um, I, I sent this on election day, right? I said, mm. Big love, also, by the way, you're going to crush the next four years regardless of who wins. It's a nice text. It's a nice text, yeah. especially when everything was so crazy. Um, you know, I was like, yo, yo, how are you doing? Keep pushing no matter what. Um, I said, action time. Do something nice right now for somebody that you love. Text me back with what you did and to who. And I got like, you know, 10,000 texts of people who did really nice things. And all that took was like 15 wow. seconds for me. So I How many people do you have in your community? I can't say, but I can tell you after. Um, okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, it, it's, really, it's really a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I think there are, it's just the beginning. But imagine for a person like, you know, Obama who just joined community. You know, he's probably got a couple million numbers, maybe. Um, definitely hundreds of thousands. Um, so he's gonna sell a lot of books. It's number one book all time. It's gonna be the number one book ever in the history of the world. Well, Harry Potter, the Bible. There's just a few, few competitors. They gotta watch out. He's selling this book. <laughs> Selling this book, man. He did what, like a million copies in the first day? Woo! God damn. Crazy. Crazy. Um, all right. I, I think, you know, is a, 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 the last question I want to ask, and this will be a good, good way to close it off. What, what's your best advice for young entrepreneurs, a.k.a., you know, yourself uh, at a younger age? Yeah, I think, I think, number one thing is really find something where you can where you can build a, a skill and where you can be better than most people at it and really refine that and then figure out how to monetize it if your if your goal is if your goal is that you know figure out some sort of like there's so many opportunities on social and like online to build out some knowledge and like ability to deliver some sort of service to people who won't understand it to the extent that you do if you really study it the right way and you really and you really learn. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think I think just you know working hard to to build a skill set is probably the number one thing. And then just meeting as many people as possible and trying to make mistakes and learn and find people that have done what you want to do and try to learn from them and convince them that you're you're worth, you know, investing some some time and energy into putting the time in that other people aren't willing to there it is alex thank you so much for coming on it's been a blast where where can people find you best if they want to follow you on social yeah just uh, at alex mccurry o on instagram um i'm on linkedin too but instagram is mainly the the spot it's the spot all the right spot. guys we'll see you on the next one thanks again alex all right man take care boom 
Also, could not let this podcast finish without announcing the winner for our PS5 giveaway that we've been running across Hoops Nation and the Buster Show for the last couple of weeks. Um, thank you to everybody that entered and found the podcast through that. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. Um, and, uh, you know, first thing, first things first, before I announce the winner here, um, which I, I did what is the classic, since the rules were to enter and be subscribed, what I did was I swiped with my eyes closed, scrolled up and down for five minutes, um, and then came upon our winner. But I will say we have tons of upcoming exciting giveaways, giving away signed presidential um, autographed, like note cards and book plates, uh, as well as rookie card graded PSA graded rookie cards. So stay tuned in for all of that. But the winner is drum roll, please. Sam H. Sam, I got your Instagram. Um, I sent you a DM, and all you need to do is I, I sent you the info, but send me your address and I will get that out to you ASAP. I have to buy it off the secondary market. So I'm just buying it on eBay and then having your address put in and sending it that way. Um, congrats. Uh, I hope you enjoy and uh, I will have to beat you at, in, in 2K on it. So without any further ado, uh, thank you again to everybody that entered. Congrats to Sam. And I will see you guys next time. More giveaways to come. Peace.